Hey, this is the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where uh, Paul, your host, that is that is I, <laughs> lead you through a variety of text readings, graphic novels, comics that are exciting um, from the perspective of teaching, learning, culture, society, uh, all the things that we, all the good stuff that we read comics for. Um, today, I want to talk a little Moon Knight, because there's a show. <laughs> on Disney Plus and so I had uh, a cause to revisit um, one of my favorite runs of Marvel Comics the last five ten years I'd say um, Jeff Lemire Greg Smallwood Jordi Belair a bunch of other artists Moon Knight the complete collection 2016 run issues 1 to 14 collected and available in various formats I also want to talk about memories from Limon by Edo Brenes from No Brow story of um, Ramiro researching his family's history in Costa Rica with all kinds of fascinating layers to discover about his family, about the members of his family, seen through pictures. And um, also a few other comics that I've been reading and I look forward to reading with you. That's what the podcast is about today. So thank you for joining us for the comic syllabus. Every week, every other week here at multiversitycomics.com and also at comicsyllabus.substack.com. Hey, if you join us in the Comic Syllabus Substack, you can um, catch more episodes of this podcast. Also, a greater variety of things that I dig into um, in the world of comics, broadly speaking. And, um, you know, you can also support support me in the work that I do, um, the reading that I do, the, the um, trying to get the word out about great things. Um, we try to read stuff that's on the beaten track and off of it <laughs> here at the Comic Syllabus. And so um, you can support the work at comicsyllabus.substack.com. And uh, in addition, um, multiversitycomics.com is a great site where a bunch of um, intrepid comics journalists and interviewers and reviewers um, dig deep into the culture of comic books and uh, comic-related media and uh, all that kind of stuff. So... Check out all the great stuff there. All right. Well, today I want to talk a little Moon Knight with you. Um, if you caught the first episode of the Disney Plus show, you might have mixed feelings about it. This is the first of the Disney Plus shows that I have shown to my uh, my family, <laughs> my immediate family, my my partner, my daughter, and uh, and they've been like, no thanks. <laughs> Everything else was intriguing, was um, was connected to this bigger MCU, you know, uh, you know, cast of characters, and uh, and and they could find a hook. Um, unfortunately, Moon Knight had too many things that would ward them off. A little bit of creepiness, and uh, no familiar characters. Uh, so so they're out. <laughs> Sadly, sadly, I will be consuming the Moon Knight show in the loneliness of, um, uh, you know, my living room with <laughs> on my phone, probably. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fantastic performance by Oscar Isaacs. And um, and I think what promised to be a departure, but not um, a solo uh, departure. I, I feel like the MCU is skewing in different directions going a little harder at the horror, going a little harder at the uh, family-friendly stuff, going a little harder at the 
you know, multiversal intrigue going a little harder at the, you know, at all the directions. And, and it's fun. You know, I think um, the upcoming secret invasion stuff will be fun. I think um, super looking forward to Miss Marvel and She-Hulk. You know, there's going to be stuff that is right in our wheelhouse as a family. But Moon Knight is not that thing. <laughs> um, so it's interesting for me to contemplate the idea of watching this. You know, I think MCU and lots of other um, connected comics media has allowed this very lonely passion <laughs> of mine, these universes, these worlds, these characters, to become suddenly something that has cachet uh, beyond the nerdum <laughs> that I live. You know, for me to go to... Um, to my job as a teacher and to have kids wearing um, the same superhero t-shirts that I have underneath my dress shirt. You know, just uh, just a couple days ago, my student was wearing um, a Mandalorian shirt. Uh, shout out to, to this student who just has a fantastic wardrobe of awesome Marvel shirts and uh, Star Wars shirts. And I was like, oh, I like your Mando shirt. I got one on too. And you know, under my button-down dress shirt for for work um so to, to 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 have these characters be so relatable and so um blockbuster you know and so sort of universally recognized is is has been a trip for me and i'm sure for all of the other 40 and 50 something nerds like me um you know the john favreau's of the world who somehow um get to make our adolescent um fantasy characters you know, the the cultural hegemonic force that they are. Um, and, but it's interesting. Moon Knight always sat in kind of a funny place because there's a corner of my comics interest that um, later me always thought was a little bit weird about 13-year-old me, and yet 13-year-old me loved that stuff. And that stuff would be, you know, your Daredevils and Frank Miller-era Daredevils and your Batmans and Frank Miller era Batman's as well. Anything that sort of had that dark night, night-ishness. And so I remember being in my teens in the 90s and being sort of fascinated by Moon Knight. Actually, at first, I was a little sad because in my <laughs> early adolescence, I invented a character at one point, you know, when you, when you have dreams of being a comic book artist and except you can't draw. Uh, that's my story, at least. But, you know, I invented this this um, this character who was sort of part vampire and had cool capes because I was really into Todd McFarlane's crazy, cool, long capes and, uh, and you know, very dark. Uh, and really, I didn't know the character Moon Knight at the time, but what I had done is eventually reverse engineered a Moon Knight. Um, and then when I found out that there already was a Moon Knight, my character even had Knight in their name. Uh, you know, I was sorely disappointed. I was sure that my invention, which was, you know, destined for the comic pages, um, would now be nothing but an act of copyright infringement. So I was not, um, I, I remember uh, late, actually a little bit past my comic, comic book collecting days as a teenager when the artist, uh, shoot, what was their name? Was it Stephen Platt, um, who, had, who was just sort of arriving on the scene as a post, you know, image founder era artist, um, was, was going to start drawing Moon Knight, and people were like, wow, that's so cool. And um, I never really had a strong attachment to the character, um, apart from this tangential sense that they belonged in this world. 
uh, I guess I use that pronoun advisedly. They, they belonged in this world where these very dark characters lived. And I, I felt like my departure from comics in later adolescence when I started to, you know, take literature and philosophy seriously and left comic books behind, um, at least until I read, you know, a bunch of other stuff, Mouse and American Born Chinese and Why the Last Man, that brought me back later, um, was exactly that these characters in my early teens represented a kind of impulse of darkness that I was trying to grow, grow beyond. Um, you know, they, they satisfied something in me that I, I know stays with many people, um, into, you know, later years and, 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 and fills a cultural space and an imaginative space and maybe a psychic space. And I didn't really turn to that anymore. And I didn't feel like I needed it, you know, um, something that really loved the Punisher (laughs) when I was, you know, 12 years old, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and at, at 15, a kind of idealism um, brewed in me that, you know, really found that stuff, you know, something I, I, I would want to leave behind as I was maturing and growing toward, um, I don't know, a different, different light. But I think that that part of me, which was, I think, a part that felt voiceless, um, maybe even a victim, um, and then attached those feelings to a desire for a kind of righteous vengeance um that part of me morphed into something else i think it morphed into what would later be uh probably uh uh you know derisively called a social justice warrior you know that I, i always think about that part of me becoming the thing that compelled me when i went to college to study social work even though i didn't wind up becoming a social worker um, I studied social welfare, and that road actually led me into into education, into teaching. But when I envisioned social work, I envisioned um, entering into some of the places in people's worlds that were like parts of my own world, um, you know, really maybe traumatized by, um, you know, just by, by, by things I'd experienced in life, the, dark, the darker corners, and wanting to be there to somehow... With whether it be with fists or with policies <laughs> or, I don't know, you know, some kind of resources to make things right, you know. Um, so so I, I say all that because when later on, it really it wasn't until the Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey and Jordi Belair run of Moon Knight in 2013 or something like that, 2014 I think it was, that the character drew my attention again with the possibility that they could be doing something artful, maybe even, you know, profound. Um, I didn't love that run, to be honest. I, I could see the, the craft, but I didn't necessarily, it didn't really speak to me. Um, and then in 2016, Jeff Lemire was announced as the, um, you know, the sort of reboot writer with Greg Smallwood, who had been doing the art after Shelby's, um stint with Warren Ellis. Um, Smallwood had been doing the art with Brian Wood as the writer for Moon Knight uh, for that volume, and then when it ended, it sort of restarted a little while later with uh, with, with Jeff Lemire. And I was, of course, at that time already a huge fan and, and sort of following Lemire wherever he went, which was really all over the place. You know, it was Marvel and then DC and Valiant and, and kind of all over the place. 
um, where this sort of ex- Essex County, you know, vertigo title, you know, uh, sweet tooth writer was suddenly um, making hay in superhero worlds. And I was fascinated by Lemire's Moon Knight run. Um, really liked Greg Smallwood's art. And I feel a little vindication now that Smallwood is getting a lot of attention for the human target, the current, currently running human target, which is just, fin- I think, just released its sixth out of 12 issues, but is now going on hiatus because, um, I, I think because um, Smallwood needs a lot of time for that luscious, incredible art. Um, but I, I love that. Smallwood is getting that kind of attention because I thought that um, his art on Moon Knight was just amazing. And I, I, I just sort of one of those things you go like, does anybody else notice that this is crazy good? You know, and I wasn't hearing a lot about it. Um, so this this 2016 Lemire um, Smallwood and Jordi Belair run was kind of a cool, precious little, you know, not very much talked about thing for me at the time. Maybe others were talking about it. And I just wasn't in those corners, but I thought I was like, "This is this is really cool," and uh, I'm collecting those in issues. And then at a certain point, so so now you can find this collection all over the place. I think Comicsology is having a sale. Like you could read it on Marvel Unlimited, um, but it, it's getting a lot of sort of revived attention now because as the show has come around, um, as this Disney Plus show there's been a lot of questions about its its sort of translation to the screen. Um, some of those being, um, how will you take a character who I think has exemplified a past history within, you know, movies and comics and media and all kinds of stuff of really poorly representing what is now understood as dissociative identity disorder, uh, really poor, poorly representing and, and very much exploiting for story purposes, what is um, actually a very real thing that people go through, um, and you know, sort of utilized by creators um, as as sort of a, a convenient, often dark and harrowing plot um, function, um, doing that out of what is you know people's real experience and a kind of um, disability or or neurodiversity that is really um, <laughs> very real and often you know, not, not very realistically portrayed in media. So how will you deal with that, Marvel, you know, in translating that into the sort of biggest widely seen popular um, entertainment media that, that, that there kind of is right now? And then how will you deal with this very tangled story that's connected to the portrayal of Egyptian um, deities and religion and mythology of ancient Egypt, along with these multiple um, aspects of, of uh, Moon Knight, Mark Spector, um, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, <laughs> etc., that have existed in the very confusing uh, history. In fact, it seems like every creative team on Moon Knight, the mission has been to, in a sense, uh, untangle, but sometimes to retangle this complex character. Um, is this Kanchu? Is this uh, Mark? Is this Stephen? Is this Jake? Uh, what? How exactly does it all work? And how do you figure out all the stuff about this cast of characters? Not to mention the very problematic cast of villains that has been there in the past. You know, um, uh, you gotta avoid the traps of looking too much like Batman. <laughs> Moon Knight being often accused of being a Batman 
imitation or clone or at least a, a winking parody with um, Stephen Grant being a sort of a, you know, extremely wealthy person. Um, you have to uh, deal with the darkness of this notion of Spectre being um, a mercenary and, and, and what are you doing in Egypt <laughs> except to continue the exploitation and pillaging of um, other peoples and cultures and and then how are you how are you avoiding that um, yourself as creators based um, you know outside of those those cultures so you know Marvel Studios got to walk this fine line and you know you can draw from some things but similar to what um, what they had to do with Black Panther where there was Maybe something intriguing and rich at the heart of many of the things, many of the ideas and impact on culture or resonance with culture, but a whole lot of problematic stuff that you just can't represent the same way that that they were first presented in the 70s or 80s or even 90s or even 2000s, right? So so how, how will you do it? Um, I think that was an interesting, that's been an interesting thing to watch. And, and of course, that's ongoing. We're still watching. Like, I thought the first uh, episode... Um, well, I guess I would say this. I would feel less confident about what Marvel Studios was doing, what those um, TV showrunners and writers are doing with Moon Knight, had I not read Lemire's 2016 run and seen the interesting thing that, to me, that uh, Lemire, Smallwood, and company did. Um, because I think by the time Jeff Lemire was writing this, um, some of those similar questions, problem spaces... Um, were in the forefront of their minds. And, you know, so what you have is, you know, I, I don't think it's great comics or great storytelling to just, you know, make your story about answering those questions. But I think at this stage, being able to pose the relevant current questions to the story um, and making an intriguing story out of that um, is the challenge and opportunity. And I thought that the 2016 Moon Knight did it in a really interesting way. And, you know, a couple of ways that it did it, it did that is, for one, it put us in a, in a position where not only unreliable narrator, which is, of course, one of the problems of when, when, when uh, some sort of, you know, some version of multiple personalities or dissociative identities are you know used in media is that this this notion that they are right like thoroughly unreliable often aggressive um usually some side of it um conniving and evil um it's it's um it's the story has to be built not only on unreliable narrator but really this truly uh i guess multi multiplicity of self and multiplicity of perspectives view of the world right because one of the things that um happens is that this you know characters who have these kinds of um mental health issues it's sort of like the problems get put onto the it, it, they become our i don't know what it is like our sacrificial goat on which we put some of what we want to call the disorderedness or the chaos chaos of the world and put it onto these 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 characters rather than um i think you know seeing things that ways that the external chaos 
is actually enacted upon them, right? And then the agency that they have, that they must have, that they have to try to maintain to navigate that. And the ways that actually that's true in so many ways of all of us. Now, in saying this and some of what I'll say later, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to uh, uh, cloud it up as if there's not something distinct about DID from, you know, uh, from from other folks. Um, but I do, you know, I think there's very specific diagnoses. There's very specific, um, uh, you know, manifestations, uh, issues that, that folks deal with that's not just like, oh, yeah, we're all a little bit like that, right? And while I, I'm a strong believer in a kind of, you know, multiplicity of self um, maybe as metaphor or maybe as some sort of, um, uh, you know, more profound way to understand uh, our, our psyches. Uh, I, I, I recognize that I don't want to conflate, you know, um, what is a, a, a real struggle from, you know, just kind of, oh, well, we all go through that. So let me just try to make that clear, draw that line right now. Um, but what, what happens in this in this book is that we end up participating in a kind of uncertainty with with uh, Mark slash Jake slash Stephen slash Moon Knight, Mr. Knight, right? So in the first arc, um, what we what we find out is is that you know Mark is inside of a of a of a of a kind of hospital. It is in some ways the cuckoo's nest type of like worst nightmare of a hospital. The orderlies are um, abusive. Uh, you know, folks are drugged up. Um, there's attempt to pull people away from relationships where they might, um, because they're assumed to be scheming. And you come to see that here is Mark. Here is uh, Crawley. Here are all the, the the sort of cast of of you know characters that you expect around Moon Knight. But um, there is a real strong kind of gaslighting effect going on where you know mark is being told you've been here this whole time uh since you were a kid and you keep going on and on about these stories about being um, a moon knight and 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 being a, a mercenary and conchu but don't you know like that's that's all been in your head this whole time and for a while uh minor spoilers here for a while there's i think an openness in the story the way it's told to that actually being very possible because kind of the craziness of this thought that, hey, the, that, that might not be my psychologist uh, or, or therapist. That, that might actually be, um, Dr. Emmett might be, uh, uh, what is it? Is it Emmett Amant, the, um, the Egyptian god? Um, or, or say like, you know, these orderlies might in fact be um, some kind of spiritual or demonic or, or whatever some kind of uh, magical, mystical creatures, right? Like the, the sort of it, what is real um, sense uh, and, and the real possibility that maybe this is um, not real. It's that kind of jarring, uh, very rooted in the person's experience where you're, you're really seeing some things from doubt to like absolute belief uh, through the person's perspective. And... Um, and it includes a lot of self-doubt as well. And I think that um, aligns more with the accounts from people who, who, um, who suffer from DID uh, more than the kind of externalized portrayal where they're just, oh, look at this, this loopy person. 
And so I, I see that reflected in the first episode of Moon Knight, where we, you know, rather than sort of seeing the story primarily through the Mark Spector character, who is clearly doing the awesome, you know, I don't know if awesome is the right word, the sort of like uncanny uh, uh, assassin mercenary uh, moves, we just see how disruptive and um, difficult this is on unsuspecting Stephen Grant, unassuming, you know, museum uh, gift shop worker, <laughs> not millionaire <laughs> um, Stephen Grant in, in the show. And so in that same way, I think Lemire and, and Smallwood in the first arc really present to us that sense of uncertainty that gives us uh, subjective compassion, empathy within the character rather than sort of a, you know, look at this point of view from outside the character. That seems more exploitative. Um, but where it got really interesting for me, this run, and where I really want to recommend it to you, and I don't want to give away too much. It's kind of a habit and, and practice here at the Comic Syllabus where I try to talk in depth without actually revealing too much plot so that if you haven't read it, you can still kind of enjoy it. And maybe um, if you want to be totally, you know, spotlessly uninformed about anything um, thematic or anything like that, you can just skip this conversation altogether. But um, what at first was kind of off-putting in, in reading it issue to issue, but then became something really nice is that starting from issue five and running through issue nine the um uh again not giving away too much but what happens is that the different um sort of identities the different uh personalities of of you know the moon knight character all um sort of take turns uh you know sort of holding center stage i don't know if there's a more appropriate clinical term for it um, with within the body of of the you know the Moon Knight character, and when it switches perspectives or or aspects, it's actually drawn by a different set of artists. So uh, I remember at the time not knowing these artists as well as I do now, and now you look back and you go, wow, what a, what a cool set of of creators they had on this. But Wilfredo Torres and Michael Garland um, were the Stephen Grant artists. Uh, Francesco Francavilla drew the Jake Lockley scenes and the Moon Knight or Mr. Knight scenes drawn by James Stokoe um, and a pretty out there and a newer, a totally different take on on the Moon Knight um, character themselves. And then, of course, Smallwood's still involved and then Smallwood kind of finished off the run um, up through issue 14. It's at that stage of the story where, again, not giving away too many plot details, but if you have read it and uh, and you can kind of relive it with me, um, where it was really, it got really interesting for me. And it got interesting in a way that I didn't really understand the relevance of until years later, I learned in my own therapy, uh, and again, not wanting to conflate, you know, my own, um, <laughs> just um, my own sort of, you know, working through things and, and some things that are described clinically in one sense, uh, not conflating that with, with DID. But um, I do know that some, um, some who treat those with dissociative identity disorder rely on a similar or, um, or, uh, or really this same set of, of practices and tools that I'm going to refer to now, which is what I learned about when I was going through therapy to work through just a lot of my own issues, um, which is a, a sort of set of theories that's called internal family systems. 
and IFS, as it's called, is kind of built on the notion of a multiplicity of ourselves. Um, again, more often not as, as in the sense of dissociative identity disorder as like as distinct um, alters, as they call them, but more as sort of like a metaphor for the kinds of um, contradictions and parts of yourself. And in IFS, you know, there are parts who you treat the way that you would treat members of a family. And um, and so, you know, the I think the key thing that hit me in reading Moon Knight, in reading Lemire and Smallwood and Bel Air's Moon Knight, is that in the past, I think these different aspects of the character, the Mark Spector, the uh, Jake Lockley, the Moon Knight, etc., were all sort of pitted against each other in this um, irreconcilable battle for um, control. And in fact, in the show, at least in the first episode, that's essentially what we see, right? Khonshu pushing uh, 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 Stephen Grant to give up the body so that Mark Spector can take over as the more favored, <laughs> more favored uh, personality. But in Lemire and Smallwood's Moon Knight run, and I'm curious to see if this is something similar that happens in the show, uh, what ultimately happens with all of these different, you know, um, uh, artists who are drawing these different, the, the different um, aspects of the different altars is that they have to come to a kind of reconciliation. And I remember reading that in the comics at the time as like, wow, that's very moving. And then really being bowled over now looking back at it because since then, having done this work in therapy, where I realize that these parts of myself that I want so much to disappear, they are there because they play a role. They play a role that in, in my life, you know, these parts play a role. These parts of me play a role in my life because past traumas, past struggles, past needs, uh, you know, these parts arose to meet those needs or to protect me, you know, or my, my, my inner child. And what happens is that when I try to just eliminate them, then that which they're protecting feels threatened, right? And for folks who have been through trauma, and I don't pretend that I had the same, uh, I had, had the same amount of adverse childhood experiences or you know traumatic experiences that others have had, but I know that for what I have been through, there are parts of me that exist in response as a protective thing and they get you know a little overwrought <laughs> they get a little over eager to uh, they sort of overserve their function um, but the answer is not for me to then try to eliminate them um, they're, they're there for a reason but but instead you know within IFS the self <laughs> the sort of your grounded self right your best uh, uh, truest self uh, invites them to uh, maybe put down the the fire hose, the urgency, and uh, and 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 play a different role, uh, play a role that's you know embedded in compassion and in, um, in 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 mindfulness and and to play a role in taking care of this this family system within ourselves, right? And you know, and I know again, this is where it's different. I, I think IFS doesn't apply directly to DID because folks um, who are um, who have dissociative identity disorder 
you know, have to be careful about what is that self or what is the, that altar, uh, who is that altar who might sort of be at the center to speak to the others. Um, but what you see in Moon Knight by Lemire and Smallwood is you see a conversation between these altars and a recognition that you have, I have been through, we have been through something, and that is why you are here. And I need you. I'm going to need you. I, but I need you to not be that right now, you know, mercenary or cab driver <laughs> or whatever you are. I need you to not be that right now. And I need you to, 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 to chill because I'm going to need you later. And I have never seen a story involving people, you know, supposedly with multiple personalities that handled it that way. Um, and um, I'm giving up a little bit of more of the, again, the thematics than the actual plot. And then it, you know, it goes somewhere for there, which I won't give away. But that was what was like fascinating and uh, in a way wonderful, in a way, the way that um, the Lemire and Smallwood run dealt with Moon Knight's, you know, history and, and you know, these, these, uh, these different aspects, these different altars with a kind of acceptance, compassion, and agency that I had just not seen in fiction. Um, and, and some parallels to that were really important for me in terms of uh, coming to a kind of uh, reconciliation or wholeness with parts of myself. And so um, <laughs> that is not very much uh, Easter eggs about the, <laughs> the Arthur Harrow character or what's going to happen with the multiversal <laughs> possibilities about Moon Knight. But I, I do think that um, what it is is for me opening up like maybe these stories will get into that space, you know, of exploring uh, you know those character possibilities, and um, and maybe that will be super interesting. Whether it is as a TV show or not, whether it is on 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 Disney Plus and, and in the MCU, I am grateful to have had Moon Knight uh, by Jeff Lemire, Greg Smallwood, uh, Jordi Belair, a bunch of other artists as I mentioned before, um, as a good run to read. So I just want to recommend that. All right, well. Um, we pause and transition at this point and and just talk about a few uh, a couple other titles i have been teasing about the podcast that i would talk about memories from limon for a while and i want to talk about that book uh again i'll try to do the same thing it's a it's a spoilerish but not plot spoily reading of uh, of the book um by edo benes from nobrow came out last month um uh, i think we're on march 2020 um, and, but, I, but before I get into that, let me just drop some teases about what's coming ahead because, you know, my hope is that some of y'all are reading with me. Hope some of you maybe just fire up this podcast and just want to hear about some stuff and you can say, ah, it's not for me or it is for me or whatever. That's all good. <laughs> um, but, um, I've been talking for a while about some of these books and others, are, are new in my collection. So um, these are things to come in the next couple weeks. All right, first of all, I've been promising for a while, a number of episodes, to talk about Squire by Sarah Alfe Alfeji uh, and Nadia Shamas. 
uh, from uh, Quill Tree, which is a branch of Harper Alley, this um, YA-ish graphic novel, although not just for YA. Please don't count yourself out if you don't consider yourself a YA um, graphic novel. Really beautiful book, and I've now read it um, a couple times. And I'm so excited about this book that I didn't want to actually talk about it alone. So there are some folks I am hoping to talk about this book with on this podcast soon to come. All that means is a promissory note that we will touch on, Squire. And if you haven't gotten it yet, I'm going to say highly recommended. I'm going to say get your, get your hands on this book library or, you know, you know, order it from your comic shop, whatever you need to do. It's a great book. I liked it a lot. Um, if you like things like, um, wow, let's see, endorsements from Willow Wilson, Saladin Ahmed. Um, there's also, you know, if you liked Nameless City, uh, if you're just uh, into some adventure, uh, this is a good one. Um, so we will talk about Squire in this podcast <laughs> in, a, in a future week, hopefully with some friends. Um, I also have been uh, talking about, what was the other thing that was? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm continuing to read things that are um, either on Substack or connected to Substack. I'm, I'm gradually... In some things that I'm, I'm there, there's some things I'm keeping up with on Substack. I've been reading the Three Worlds, Three Moons stuff, and I definitely want to talk about that at some point. That too, I'm kind of waiting and hoping for a friend to talk about it all with. Um, but I'm also, you know, uh, reading uh, Rodney Barnes's work. Rodney Barnes has this great Substack. I think I mentioned it last time called Dark Apocrypha. Uh, I'm not a generally a horror reader, but I'm really interested in what um, Rodney Barnes does. So. So as a comics writer, Barnes is the writer um, with uh, Jason Sean Alexander as artist of Philadelphia, which is an ongoing, I don't know if it's ending. Uh, it's, a, it's in the 20s, I think, uh, early 20s, maybe, uh, issues, um, an ongoing series from Image Comics. And so I've been kind of catching up with that so that I can read more of Barnes's Dark Apocrypha Substack stuff that with a little cognizance of the world of that that Barnes is creating with uh with co-creators and um and if you didn't read Philadelphia, I think it was an Eisner nominated series that um is really a vampire story but the vampires you know uh but it, as it turns out and this is giving away a little bit at the beginning but like John Adams <laughs> you know the second president of the United States it was he's sort of like still around as like head vampire you know and then you have like generations and generations of vampires and they're getting ready to do the, the vampire taker takeover. So there's a little bit of American history. Um, and then there's a little bit of like tough cop. There's like a dad cop and a, a son cop and they were formerly estranged and, and now they're kind of on the case about the vampires. So, um, and then there's, you know, a, a good amount, I think of, of thoughtfulness about, uh, race class and, uh, and social position as it might relate to, a vampire story um so that's intriguing and besides that barnes's substack is so interesting because one minute it's like horror stuff but like cool you know like socially relevant horror stuff and then the next minute it's like magic johnson because <laughs> i forgot the name of the show that's about the showtime lakers that's on hbo but i think barnes is i don't know if producer or writer on that show um part of the creative team on that show and you know if you know me you know that's in my 
that's right up my alley too so anyway kind of into rodney barnes's work right now and that's what one thing another thing that i've been reading um and in addition here in my stacks some things that i plan to talk about on the podcast coming up maybe next episode maybe the one following one is that i was really um remiss in um not reading earlier Amindur Dalawal's Cyclopedia Exotica. This was a 2021 book from Drawn and Quarterly. I had no idea about it. <laughs> I saw it and, you know, it's got, it looked oh, interesting, but didn't really understand it too much. So picked it up and started reading it. And, uh, oh, I'm, ex- I'm so interested in where this is going. Uh, Cyclopedia Exotica is about um, cyclo- cyclopes. And then Cyclopes as they would exist in our modern world. And, um, and you know, to be a, cyclope, to be a Cyclops in, in our world means um, to somehow have to deal with your monstrosity. Um, and sometimes it's in ways that involve a lot of butchering of your body in order to match the expectations of larger society. And that is fascinating. That makes for fascinating stuff. Um, and in the end, of course, you know, it's, it's humorous, it's, um, it's, it's uh, depressing in, in terms of what it points out about the ways that we judge people and, and the ways that um, you have to get by in our world, um, the ways that we contort ourselves to match societal expectations, uh, social media, uh, you know, interactions, uh, medical interventions, so on, so on, so on. Um, but, um, it's also, yeah, it's just super fascinating. And in some ways it's fun because, you know, it's a comic strip like, and, and thinking about these cyclopes in the world, in the modern world. And yet, uh, it holds a mirror up to us in a way that's really, um, troubling, um, but in the best ways. So I'm, I'm excited to finish this. I'm about a third of the way through Cyclopedia Exotica. Read that with me. Um, some newer things that are just out that I'm also reading. One is called Walk Me to the Corner. Um, it is a drawn and quarterly book um, by um, by Furmark, Anneli Furmark. If you might know Furmark, some of Furmark work, Furmark's work, um, Swedish creator, I believe. And um, Walk Me to the Corner is uh as it says in the the back of the book here from john and corley i said that already didn't i the gorgeous portrait of desire and heartbreak and the painful gamble the heart sometimes chooses in spite of the mind i think that uh the story is about um a woman with a husband and children uh who's more you know in a sort of more advanced age and uh has i think an affair with a, a woman and uh, becomes pretty sort of, you know, a turning point, consequential thing in in their lives. And so I'm interested to read that. Um, It's got, uh, yeah, it's got a lot that kind of screams to me that um, it's just going to be full of um, depth of heart. Um, Like some of the things that uh, I'm about to talk about uh, today, the rest of this episode. I'm also reading um, Dear Sophie, Love Sophie. Uh oh, pausing. Hey, forgive me. Uh, I just paused recording the podcast because a um, 
a power switch <laughs> went off uh, in, in, in our home. And uh, now the power is out in half of the house. Um, not the half that has my our internet router, thankfully. So I think I'm going to have to pause or delay the conversation I wanted to have with y'all about um, Memories from Limon. <laughs> um, I'm going to maybe try to release it midweek as a podcast. If you look for us at comics, comicsyllabus.substack.com, I'll try to release... Um, a conversation about Memories from Limon, a book I really enjoyed, a fascinating, fascinating story. Uh, look for that later on this week. I'm going to have to cut it here because I got to post this thing and get it up for Multiversity tomorrow morning. Um, but uh, come back around here to the Comic Syllabus Substack to look for a conversation about Memories from Limon, as well as these other titles. I didn't get to talk about Dear Sophie, Love Sophie by Sophie Lu Lucido Johnson or um, Gippie's My Badly Drawn Life. Those all will come later, I'm sure. <laughs> so this is going to have to be it for this episode. I guess it's a Moon Knight-centric episode. Um, but anyway, take care, y'all, and, uh, and, and join us for our future conversations about comics. Uh, thanks. Let's keep reading, even if it's dark <laughs> in my house. This is a little scary. I'm a little nervous that my reflections are going to start um, <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> All right, y'all. Take care. See you soon.